Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we help growing companies, especially manufacturers, improve their people, process, and planning systems so they can scale smarter and faster. Joining me from Bucharest is Christina Sumaila. Christina is a founder of Be Productive. She helps motivated entrepreneurs build strong foundations to allow them to scale to seven plus figures and beyond. One of Christina's specialties is helping her clients improve the customer experience. She does this by helping them plan and build great customer experiences throughout every stage of the sales process. But today, we're going to focus primarily on the early stages of working with a new customer. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Mike. That was an amazingly warm and kind introduction. I'm well, happy. I'm looking forward to our conversation because we're going down a path that we really have not taken before. And before we do that, I also want to do another shout out. And that is, I have another Christina, Christina Hooper with Sparkative to thank for kind of making this introduction. Her superpowers in the sales program is what brought Christina and me together. And so I want to thank that, Christina, as we go back to setting up for our conversation. You have expertise in a number of areas, but it seems as if so much emphasis is placed on finding the customer. And when you've got that customer, it's just assumed that Bringing them on board is going to be straightforward, no big deal. And it's really that onboarding experience for a new customer that I like to kind of spend our time on. Perfect. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. A lot of people spend like 80% of their time on how to acquire a new customer. And then once that customer has been acquired, they're like, yay, now we can celebrate. The work is done. Whereas the truth of the matter is the work has just started. Um, actually, if um, if you're familiar with the customer buyer's journey, uh, which I think you called it uh, your, it's a process basically uh, is what you called it, but it's uh, it's adapted from a book called The Seven Levels of Intimacy. Hmm. And what it basically tells us is we have at least seven levels of intimacy with everybody that we interact with in our lives. And that includes our customers. So if we were to transpose that into what are, you know, the seven steps from when somebody first hears about you all the way to the point where they're your most uh, avid advocator, then there's a journey that you have to go through, right? And surprisingly, someone becoming a customer is only a little less than halfway there, actually. So it's like the fourth step of the journey, not the last one. Uh, and a lot of people are just like stopping there or they're like trying to skip steps. I'm like, okay, now I have a customer. All I need to do now is get them to buy more. Well, actually you're missing a few of the steps in between. So um, that's kind of what we're here to talk about. What happens once you acquire that customer? What is what are some of the missed opportunities that I see a lot of people just overlook and just how you can make that process a little bit better so you can turn more of your customers into rabid fans. So Christina, when you and I discussed prior what we might talk about and the idea of onboarding a new customer came up, 
I immediately seized on that in large part because the parallel is when companies hire employees. Mm-hmm. They spend all their energy hiring them. And then before you know it, they've thrown them through kind of an orientation and they give very little attention to bringing that new employee along. And mm-hmm. it, I don't know if this holds true uh, in customers, but the highest likelihood of turnover for an employee is in that first 90 days. And so, you know, employers, we kind of put a check mark, got that person hired, move on to the next. When you said that from a customer standpoint, you said that there are seven levels of intimacy and that applies to even customers. What is kind of the process? If you're advising your clients of how to correctly onboard a new customer, walk us through kind of what those steps might be. Perfect. Well, um, so I like to think that there's two kind of aspects, fundamental aspects to onboarding. There's obviously the technical aspect, uh, which I'm, everybody kind of nails that down. Like they have their own processes. So I'm not going to focus a lot on that, but it's basically, you know, your agreements, payments, setting them up in all of the different softwares and delivering the, the service. And so, so all of that, but there's the more important aspect is the human aspect, which is, um, a little bit like welcoming somebody new into your family. Mm. Like if somebody in your family had a child, let's say, then you know how you do, or like got married. So there's a new person that you have to kind of bring into your fold and make them be a part of the family. And you know that that works doesn't, that work doesn't stop once, you know, the marriage ceremony is over. No, there's a continuous effort on everybody involved to make that make sure that that person feels welcome not only in those first 90 days but throughout all of the time that they're going to spend in your family which is hopefully forever right um so with that analogy in mind um i think the most important place for people to start with is for everybody who's already thinking about this i want to congratulate you already because what most people don't like where most people go wrong is they don't actually even start putting thought into it. Hmm. They just like, Oh, we acquired the customer. We're done. If you're already starting to think about it and be like, okay, how can we make this better? How can we, how can we make sure our customers like us and trust us and will stay with us for a long time? You're already taking more steps than probably 50% of the people, Hmm. at least from my experience. So I, I'd like to just acknowledge that for a second. Um, but second, uh, similar to how a child would like, you know, start their first day of school, you got to prep them a little bit. So once somebody has become your client, the most important thing you can do is make sure that they kind of know the lay of the land. They know what to expect from you. So setting the right expectations as upfront in the process as possible is key. And that is not just like, you can talk about, you know, what they can expect with delivery times, because especially in your industry, it's not like you're going out and buying bread, you're paying for, you're paying your money, you get your bread, you leave that done. There's, there's a cadence there, 
there's like, oh yeah, you, you're buying something. Now we have to go through the manufacturing process, the packaging process, the delivery process. There's all of this lengthy process that is involved, which the more it takes for you to deliver your product to the door of the customer, the more you give your customer time to ask himself questions of like, hey, I wonder if this is on track. Hey, um, I wonder if they've forgotten about me. Um, I wonder if everything is going as planned. I wonder if they remember that I asked for this one specific little thing and they promised that they would accommodate me. And the last thing that you want to do is one, never address those questions, especially even if the customer doesn't end up asking them. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just keep them in their head. And we, on the other end, like, well, he's not asking anything. This all must be good. That's not exactly true. But if you can, ahead of time, kind of try to um, assuage this kind of these kinds of thoughts from the customer's mind and be like, hey, look, you can expect the next communication that we initiate with you to be in like two weeks from now when we've hopefully you know got the raw material in our factory or i don't exactly know what the process is but for everybody's a little bit different but like here's a roadmap here's here's your 90-day roadmap since we put forward the 90-day um time frames like in 90 days here's how i'm gonna get you from where you are now you just signed a contract to you have the product in your hands and you are now ready to do whatever you want to do with it and you've got to provide that to your customer and not expect them to get it um you know how in in sales we talk about how we want to make it as simple as possible for our customers as frictionless as possible we, we want to get them to spend as little mental calories as possible understanding our message and our value and our offer. Well, the same stands true with onboarding and delivery too. You don't want the customer to spend a lot of time thinking and trying to understand the product. In fact, the main reason why onboarding and clients and employees leave after 90 days is because they didn't understand. They didn't understand something. As customers, they probably didn't understand how to use your product or service. You may have delivered it perfectly in, in the time frame that you promised them, uh, at the quality level of quality that you promised them. It solves every problem that they have, but if they don't know how to use it, they're, it's gonna be useless for them. And they're, they're just not, if they're not using it, they're gonna end up returning it or just not working with you anymore. Same with, same with employees if with if within 90 days they feel like they're not doing a good job like they don't have the right support to know where to, to know where to go to, to ask some questions about how to do their job if they don't know what they need to do every single day if they don't feel like they've found their place in their routine inside of your company they're gonna leave before you have a chance to let them go so thus far you stressed how important it is when you have a new customer to set expectations up front. You use the word roadmap, which I think was really powerful. And that is by sharing with this new customer a bit of a roadmap as to how this relationship can be best. Um, it means setting expectations, not only around timelines, but also communication. So they'll know 
how regularly they should expect to hear from you. So the roadmap that you're recommending to our listeners is set those expectations up front that should include timelines and communications. And that term communication keeps coming up. And that is, it's a new relationship. Um, How important, particularly early on in the relationship, is it to be, for lack of a better term, fully transparent with this new customer? 100% important. So you, um, one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen people do with onboarding, for example, and one of the reasons why why most people hire me is like, hey, I want to automate my onboarding. I want to automate some processes. I want to stop doing things, so many things manually, which is a great thought. But what I've noticed most people do is they go to this step before they actually have the right onboarding processes set. Mm. They want to automate something that's not completely optimized. So um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is in the early stages of a customer relationship, over-communication is, what, is way more acceptable than no communication. You know, yes. Nobody's going to get mad at you if for the first two weeks you end up emailing them three times a week. If the if obviously the message is actually important and relevant, not, but you don't want to, you don't want two weeks to pass since they've signed a contract and they don't know what you're supposed to be doing. They're, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They're, they don't know when you're supposed to contact them next. So communication and even over communication at this early stage is acceptable, recommended and encouraged. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, for example, sometimes things don't go as planned, right? Sometimes we promise the client, hey, in two weeks, I'm going to be able to deliver this thing to you, whatever it is. And you're about a week and a half in and you realize, uh, yeah, so it looks like there's been some something happening and it's not going to get delivered in a week, in another half a week, right? So we try and like, oh my God, let's rush and see if we can do this. Um, And on the last day, when the two weeks are up, maybe we're gonna tell them, hey, you know, I know I promised you this thing today, but it's not gonna happen today. That is the happy outcome. But most people actually don't even let the customer know. They're gonna be like, well, I told them I'm gonna be reaching out to them today, but if I reach out to them like tomorrow or the day after tomorrow's, no big deal. It's still kind of within the same time frame. It's okay, right? It's okay. Not really. Not when the relationship is so fresh and not when this is that person's first experience buying from you. You don't want that to be the first thing that somebody experiences. So even when it's not comfortable, even when it's not uh, something that you wished was happening, even if it's not something that happens very often, if it's a once once in a lifetime occurrence, you want to communicate and be transparent and be honest with the person who bought from you and you, and to communicate ahead of time. This is what I was trying to get. You don't want to leave it to the last second to communicate to a client that something is not going to go according to plan. Because just as you have your own timelines, they have their own timelines too, and they might need a little bit more than two days notice to know that something is not gonna arrive at the agreed upon timeline. 
So as soon as you know, as soon as you can see the project where the whatever you're selling them move, start to move in that direction where it feels like it's not going to get completed on time, your customer is going to appreciate you so much more if you're if you're honest to them from the get go and tell them, hey, look, we're running into some snags. We might, I don't know, there's a 50% chance that we might not deliver this product at the agreed upon date. One, here's what we're doing to try and fix that and actually deliver it by the agreed upon timeline. But if we try our best and it still doesn't happen, here's our backup plan. Here's, you know, don't just leave them in high water, have a backup plan of some sort. Even, even if it's just like, hey, we, kind of, we apologize, we're going to give you some sort of, uh, I don't know, money back or whatever it is that you can do to help them out, expedite their order or something, whatever it is you can do, have a backup plan to let them know that you are thinking with their benefit in mind. Well, that being said, you've secured this client, you've begun to do business with them, Hopefully, they made that decision in a way based on they have confidence you can deliver. But thus far, what you have stressed, when you have a new customer, don't leave that early customer relationship to chance. Mm -hmm. Clearly establish expectations through communication, expectations regarding timelines, deliverables, but open appropriate channels of communication with enough frequency so that they're not left in the dark but you also introduced us and give them kind of a sense of how we are going to be working together early on in this process by sharing that roadmap. And you've kind of said that what's so key in this relationship, particularly if you're going to keep this relationship, is that transparency and honesty. And in most cases, this won't come up early on because you're going to be doing backflips to try to take care of that new customer. But if you see something go awry, your advice to our listeners is if you see a potential deadline being met, don't keep it to yourself, share it, but don't just share it. Explain what is it you're doing as an organization to meet that deadline and giving them a heads up. And it may very well be that that heads up is really what they want most. They just want to know if it's a product or a service, when could I expect it? It's that reliability of when that's going to be um, available to them that they're probably looking for most. Christine, you made another interesting comment, and that is clients come to you sometimes when they really want to kind of more automate processes. And what you shared is that that's a really novel idea, and that very much is how companies can grow when they can use automation to its advantage. But you can also turn on automation too soon, that your processes may not be fine-tuned enough to kind of automate. And you said something earlier, you didn't use this term, but knowing exactly who you are and what you're delivering and measuring those outcomes from a KPI standpoint. How important is monitoring KPIs spe specifically when you have a new customer coming on board? Um. That's very important because uh, you know that old saying, what you don't measure doesn't get improved. Mm -hmm. uh, it holds true on all, all levels you can possibly think of. But um, 
I especially like keeping KPIs, keeping up, like setting and tracking KPIs for customer success and onboarding and everything around delivering a service because I do not want to rely on my customers coming to tell me that they're unhappy. Mm. Because by the time they reach that point, by the time they reach the point where they actually have to come to, come to me and be like, Christina, uh, it's been like two weeks now. Uh, I, I don't know. I've written to customer service or something is happening and I'm not happy. By the time they reach that point, the relationship has degraded so much that I have to bend over backwards to potentially recover that relationship. And I don't want that. I, I want to know way ahead of time if something is not going the right way. And also from a marketing standpoint, me knowing those KPIs means I can market for them afterwards, right? Me knowing, hey, um, you know, 90% of my customers uh, say they would recommend me to somebody else or are giving me a net promoter score of like nine or something. Well, that's something that I can use in my marketing. How am I supposed to advertise to other people that we do a good job if we don't know if we're doing a good job, right? Um, and same with, uh, same with, I don't want to, I don't want to let uh, my clients come to me and tell me that I'm doing a bad job. The reverse is also kind of true. I don't want to only rely on customers coming forth to give me a testimonial to know that I'm going, doing a good job. I also want to know that for myself, right? I, obviously there's things we can do to incentivize people to give us a testimonial and such, but there are people who never will but I would still want to know I did I did right by that person. That person who's never going to leave me a testimonial, never going to give me a referral, anything. I still want to know that I did right by them. So the only way I can know that is if I measure my work quality somehow. And what I've noticed is you can put KPIs on pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've noticed in working with a client who had a mindset offer. So he was basically like, oh, I'm going to help you clear your mental blocks. I'm going to help you be less anxious, more confident, um, less frustrated, less afraid to make decisions and all of that. And that is on the, on a first glance, it's kind of hard to measure. Yes. Hard to put a KPI on that. Like, how do I know if you're happier other than, you know, asking you, are you happier? Mm -hmm. Are you happier now than you were before? Can I attribute that to my thing or are you just did you get just receive a bucket of flowers today or no <laughs> so we did actually manage to put kpis on that we managed to put over like 12 kpis on that mindset offer that we were tracking for everybody and we were able to tell hey by the by the third month of you being in this program your frustration will go down by i don't know 45 percent and in correlation to that, your revenue will go up by, I don't know, I'm making the numbers up, of course, to protect my clients data and stuff, but we had those numbers and we advertise around them. And it was such a novel idea in that space because nobody in that space that was our competitor was able to put KPIs on that. So it was such a novel idea that it propelled us forward pretty, pretty well. Um, so all of that in mind, yes, definitely uh, put some KPIs in place and track them 
religiously as you would track KPIs in any other aspect of your business. What you've introduced us to KPIs, we all use KPIs in running our business, but you're also saying go one step further, have KPIs with the customer onboarding experience. Because earlier in the conversation, you made this reference to the customer buyer Mm -hmm. journey. And you just a moment ago talked about uh, referrals and testimonies. And that is a happy customer may be willing to share why they're happy. Um, How can testimonials be a benefit to a business owner? In what ways are testimonials important? And when should you ask for such a testimonial? Well, obviously your testimonials are twofold, right? On one hand, it's your way of knowing that you did a good job for the customer. And on the other hand, it's probably the most powerful marketing asset you could put forth into the world. Uh, I don't know anybody, anybody who doesn't go and Google some reviews for anything that they want to, do you want to eat in a new place? You're going to look at the Google reviews first. You want to go to a new hair salon? You're going to look, you want to, you want a new supplier? You're, you can be sure as heck you're going to ask everybody, you know, Hey, have you ever worked with that guy? Is he okay? You know, nobody is doing anything these days without looking at some testimonials. So it's the most, probably the most powerful piece of marketing you can have in your company. So as to how and when to ask for one, uh, and this comes back to the customer buyer's journey, there's a stage between when the first, when the person first becomes your customer and when they next buy something from you. There's a stage in the middle of that and it's called the excite stage. Mm-hmm. A person is not gonna buy something from you again unless they are excited by the first purchase that they made. And it is your job to make sure that they are excited, that you get them excited, that they consume that product or service and they're like, oh yeah, that actually worked. I am happy, I am ecstatic, right? I'm excited about it. I, I am validated that I made the right decision in putting my money with you and putting my trust in you. I am, I feel like I made the right decision. And that is the most important thing. And when, when somebody has reached that stage, that is when you want to ask for a testimonial, not three months later when the novelty is gone. See, that's interesting. I, I would have thought something different than that. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And that is do everything you can to take care of that customer such that they are in that excited stage. And when they're in that stage, then they're much more willing to provide a testimonial. And then to go back to the KPIs, if you have KPIs, then the testimonials can be very specific. And sometimes numbers can be very compelling. The fact that you were able to help your client come up with 12 KPIs on mindset is pretty remarkable because that's kind of an obscure concept. So I can see how KPIs are very important with you and how you work with clients. Now I better understand the value of testimonials and when to ask for those testimonials. You know, as we kind of step back about the early part of the customer relationship and you stress how important it is to set those expectations, have clear communications, be totally transparent with that customer. If something's gone awry, let them 
no. And then you've kind of stressed measure outcomes, not only business outcomes, but how successful are you onboarding? Then you're in a better position to kind of gauge that excitement phase and you can immediately kind of perpetuate that. The assumption is, is that customer won't buy once, but they'll be buying over and over again. And you're kind of setting that in motion. You know, Christina, as you kind of think about how you've helped clients who have gotten stuck, can you share an example where maybe a client was stuck and what did it take to get unstuck? For sure. Well, so most, I feel like most clients get stuck on actually starting to think what their onboarding might look like. Hmm. Because a lot of clients, they go through the technical part of onboarding and then they get stuck. But as soon as it comes to the human part, they're like, okay, I kind of need, I kind of know that I should, you know, go through a kickoff call with this new client, but I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to talk about with them. I'm not quite sure um, what I should present. I know I don't know what the roadmap is supposed to look like. KPIs is something that doesn't even cross most people's minds. So I feel like just the whole thing is where most people get a little bit stuck because they rush into they rush ahead. They rush into oh yeah. Uh, I want to create like a task list inside of my project management service for everything that's got to do with onboarding. And then I'm like, okay, that's great. What does your onboarding look like? And they're like, um, well, um, like, okay, let's, let's back up a step then, you know? Um, so as, as for what we do, um, there's a five step process that I use for pretty much everything to fix everything process related inside of somebody's company, whether it's like their entire business process or whether it's we pluck this small thing like onboarding or a podcast process. There's a five step process <laughs> that I <laughs> that I take people through and it starts with documenting. So what I want you to do before you think about how you can make anything better is I want you to jot down what your current process looks like, what you're actually doing right now. What does it look like right now? Take your last customer. What did you do for them? How does that look like? Um, and after I know, because I, I cannot tell you what you can improve if I don't know what you're already doing. That's basic, right? right. So after I know what you're doing and we take a look at that, that's when we begin to optimize. Usually, people jump straight from documenting into automating. That's not what you want to do. What you want to do is optimize first and be like, okay, we have this, I don't know, 14 step process. Is anything in there redundant? Is anything in there just adding complexity for the sake of complexity? Is, is anything in there kind of adding friction where we don't really want there to be any friction? And on the flip side is like, are we missing anything vital in here? Is there anything that we, I don't know, that the customer is missing, that, that they have complained that they're not getting? What? So just add that in there. Make sure that the process is as optimized as it can be. And only then do we kind of look for areas of automation. And 
basically what we're going to do is, okay, which parts of these can we actually automate? Are there any? Which ones should be automated? Because not everything that can be automated also should be. Mm -hmm. There's a distinction there where sometimes a human will just do a better job than a software ever will. And it makes sense to sacrifice that and, you know, pay a little, a little bit more just to make sure that you get the right result. So find the right areas for automation inside of that process. And then for everything else, you want to standardize as much as possible. So writing your standard operating procedures around everything else that is in that process. And then finally, you get to the last step, which is delegating. Ideally, you as the CEO wouldn't, you won't do the onboarding forever for every new customer, especially if you want to scale and you get hundreds of customers every month, you're not going to do the onboarding for each and every single one. So you have to have the right processes, processes in place that you're able to delegate that process to somebody else. So Christina, you just shared the five-step process that you use with clients, regardless of the topic, we happen to be talking about onboarding customers. Let me see if I wrote this down correct. Document your current process, optimize that process before you attempt to automate um, those processes. Um, and then you're going to, of those, decide which of these things do I not have to do and can be delegated. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. So it's uh, document, optimize, automate, standardize, and then delegate. I may have skipped standardized because I wasn't sure if that was part of automation or not, but got it. Not exactly. Um, when you're automating something, you're pretty much guaranteed to also standardize it in a way, because mm -hmm. obviously a software is going to do it the same way each time, but even manual tasks, they can still be standardized. You can still give somebody an operating procedure and be like, Hey, these are the five steps you have to follow every single time if you're doing this task. And it's important that we have that and that we think about that and start creating that even if we're not ready to delegate the that specific part of the process yet. So Christina, as you kind of reflect on our conversation today about the critical importance of onboarding a new customer and why that is so important, what do you want to be the takeaways for our listeners? Um, I think the biggest, biggest, biggest takeaway is in your onboarding process and in your ongoing relationship with your client, everything that you do, you must do with the, with the client's best interest in mind. So every process that you may or may not automate, every single piece of communication that you may or may not send them, uh, every offer that you may or may not make them in the future, every KPI that you're tracking or not tracking, every thought that you put into this process is supposed to be with the client's best interest in mind. How does, does me automating this impact the customer negatively in some way, shape or form? If yes, maybe consider not doing that. You know, if I don't tell communicate to this client this week and let them know something important, will it impact them two weeks down the line? Probably yes. Go make that communication, even if it's uncomfortable. So as long as you put the client first, uh, you should be able to um, 
to maintain a good relationship moving forward and to get them into that excited stage that we talked about. Also, I, th I think the second, um, the second point that I think I want people to remember is don't leave anything to chance. Hmm. You want everything, if you want your, uh, your customers to go through a journey and go through every stage, you have to put some sort of intentional action into, into getting them there. You can't leave things happening to chance because then you're not in control and no, hoping is not really a good strategy to achieve anything. Christina, you are in Romania. I'm in the United States. And I also understand that many of your clients are in the United States. That's the beauty of the technology that we enjoy now. But as people have been listening to you and they begin to kind of get a sense of, you know what, Christina, boy, she gets this. She understands this. I'm a business owner and I'm struggling with the very thing that we've talked about on this podcast. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Sure. Um, on my website, it's uh, beproductive.eu. So it's B with two E's from B's. Um, you can schedule a clarity call. That is a free call where you and I can chat and you can tell me what challenges or uh, what basically anything that you potentially want my input on. And we can have an honest, no strings attached discussion around it. Um, you're not going to get a pitch. You're not going to get anything. We can just talk like normal people for 15 to 30 minutes and let's see if we can, I can help you shine some light on your challenges. I love that expression, clarity call. Perfect. <laughs> Christina, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your expertise today. Thank you very much for having me. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today. We upload the latest episode to Apple, Google, and Spotify every Thursday. So if you've enjoyed this episode with Christina, please subscribe. My question for you is, is your company growing quickly? Are you worried you don't have the right people and processes in place to handle that increased workload? Or maybe you're not sure that you've got the right planning systems to assure the success that you're looking for. If you answered yes, let's talk. Head to bench-builders.com to schedule a quick call. We will explore ways to help you solve those nagging problems so you can scale faster and smarter. So I want to thank you for joining us and I hope you have picked up on some tips from Christina that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time. <music>